Hello, guys. How are you? I don't know why I started it like that. So Euro excitement. Eurovision was weeks ago. Why did I talk like that? Um, I love how you started as if none of us have been talking for like the last <laughs> few minutes. That's always the thing, though, with podcasts, though, isn't it? Like everyone just starts a conversation like as if you haven't been talking for the last 20 minutes about what you're going to talk about and all shouting at each other to save it for the podcast. Um, that voice was Hannah Holden, NCG's equipment editor. Hi, Hannah. Hello. Did you enjoy the US Open? I did. As a Yorkshireman. Well, Yorkshire woman. Definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, what's the, what's the correct term there? Is it Yorkshire woman? We don't just generalise Yorkshireman for everyone. Yorkshire person, that's probably the more correct <laughs> terminology, isn't it? Uh, we've also got George Cooper, our social media and tour expert. Hi, George. Hello. How's it going? Good. How are you? Why are you talking like that? No, no, I'm just still excited, your, I think. It's just your podcast voice, because I've never this heard this. my podcast voice. voice. I like that. Yeah. Good. This is my, no, no, this is my showbiz voice. I think you're, it's the correct sound, but yeah, yeah I'm good. Like. I'm still buzzing off the weekend, so nothing could put me in a bad mood today. It was a good finish, wasn't it? It was. It was. I was. Uh, I was very nervous, to be honest. I was fully expecting a playoff, but here we are. So, yeah. Why is happier. that that we all think Zalatoris is a horrendous putter, and then as soon as he has a put to force playoff, we're like, it's going to playoff. It's going to playoff. Like, there's just no way he's missing this. <laughs> yeah, but way. I think that's. I think that's the the British way of looking at it because we're all sort of thinking, I just want to go to bed. I've watched so much golf for the last uh four days and i'm just absolutely desperate to go to bed it's like pushing one o'clock in the morning we've all got to get up and work tomorrow it's obviously going to go to a playoff i wonder if it's just like that negative but yeah he's uh, that was that was i have to put it out there i dozed off when zalatoris and uh fitzpatrick were on the 18th tee and Shocking. i and i i literally woke up to see uh Fitzpatrick celebrating it was I was absolutely gutted I've literally watched the whole US Open and I was schoolboy era you always get your napping earlier than that I was genuinely I was I was gutted I'd, I'd been out on my bike in the afternoon and I was knackered and I came home and I thought Do you know what I'm gonna chill out on the sofa in the afternoon we've obviously got a long night ahead of us we all cover the US Open for our jobs and I thought I will I'll sit on the sofa. I'll put the I, I put the greatest game ever played on, obviously, um, with the US Open being played at the Country Club and Brook, uh, Brookline. And I thought I'm just going to doze off while watching this film. I've seen it a few times, so it's not a problem. Did I fall asleep? Did I? Ek? So wide, I've been wide awake since half five, and then I got just right at the moment where I was just so excited. I missed the bunker shot from Fitz. I mean, I rewound it and watched it afterwards, but it's not the same. Like it was the best, but exactly, it was the best part of the week. Like Fitzpatrick's bunker shot out of that. Did you think he was dead and buried when he fell in that I, sand? I thought he was dead, and then the on-course commentator was saying, "Oh, he's got he's got a shot here." And I was like, what planet has he got a shot? I mean, it shows how much I know. But I was like, what's he on about? Like, he's going to have to chip sideways, probably get on, maybe get in the playoff. You know, I went I went into, you just said about we were expecting the playoff. I went even more negative. I was like, he's going to, he might struggle to make the playoff at this rate. Like, Will's going to make a part. But yeah, I was fully expecting him to, to chip it sideways. When I see him gripping down on the, 
on the club, I was like, oh no, I didn't want to, I didn't want to ram the ram from the final whole Saturday moment, and and then he did that. Amazing. To be fair, I think the second camera angle, like the first camera angle, made it look horrendous. It was like, yeah, oh my God, yeah. where's the shot? I think he got lucky because he could go around like the left of that like island in the middle. But, yeah, and he didn't have that far in either, did he? I think in my head, it he was he was quite a way back, but really, considering he hit three wood off the tee, but. Well, then again, oh, he was he's a, bo- uh, he's a bomber now. He's a bomber, Fitzpatrick. <laughs> yeah, that was a really it was a really strange day in terms of six unders just seemed to be like a cursed number, didn't it? I mean, obviously it was the winning score in the end, but it seemed like Scheffler got to six under, then he just couldn't couldn't help make bogeys everywhere, and then Zalatoris got to six under, and then he made a bunch of uh, bogeys, and you're just thinking, why can't anyone get to seven? Like you get to seven, you win this tournament. I mean, like I said, in the end, six won it, but. It was just an astonishing final day, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I th- I always said Sheffield all week. He was my pick, but I don't know. He got a bit. He just got a bit streaky. It was the same yesterday. He, he had that. He dropped four shots in three holes on Saturday on the back nine, and he and he seemed to do the same again yesterday. And I thought he was of all the people up there. He was he was the one I thought. Well, he's going to keep his cool more than anyone. I did worry a bit about Fitzpatrick when he was actually in the last group. I thought if he's going to win it like he did on Saturday, he's better coming from maybe a few behind or being in one of the, not the last group and just, you know, going under the radar, but he led from the front in the end on the final day. And uh, yeah, it was, it was amazing. I guess it was kind of good. He was in a group with Zalatoris as well, though, because like they were both in exactly the same situation, like neither had won or whatever. It wasn't like he was in a group with someone real experienced and it was like, oh God, like we're on a different level here. I think uh, the commentator said at the end, the um, interviewer said at the end that he hit 17 out of 18 greens in regulation, which on a Sunday in a major championship when you haven't won one is just incredible. I mean, how well, you, drove, you're the stats nerd. I mean, how, how did that make you feel? Well, he drove one par four as well and he hit one of the par fives in two. So surely that should count as like an extra one. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll hold my hands up. I'm, you're, the, you're the expert on that front, I think. Well, bear in mind, I like this stat. You're more likely to have a hole in one in a round of golf than you are to hit all 18 greens. And he nearly hit all 18, trying to get his major made and win. On a a Sunday, in a major, when you have one. I mean, that is just phenomenal. Let's let's just turn our... Obviously, fantastic win for Fitzpatrick. We're all all English on this podcast. We're all delighted for him. Um, And one of us is from Yorkshire and one of us is adopted Yorkshire so again just sort of adds to it um, but let's just talk about Rory McIlroy um, I wrote on Friar sorry on Thursday night after the first round when McIlroy uh, was leading and said that perhaps you know after everything that McIlroy's done for the game in the last few weeks in terms of uh, sort of the guy I called him the guardian of golf um, which I got some stick for which is perfectly mm. fair enough um, but he, I, I sort of suggested that perhaps the, the golfing gods need to now return the favour. And, and you know, when he gets to the Open, it's going to be eight years since he last won a major. I mean, it just seems like such an obvious question now. But is he actually going to get over that line or is it just something that's just on his back now and it's just not going to happen? I think he'll get over the line again. It's not like he's not playing bad, like good golf. Like Especially recently, he's been a lot more consistent in the majors. Like... There's so many good players each week. Like, there is still a factor of looking like who ends up winning because you can play really good golf, 
and have a couple bad breaks. Like, at the end of the day, you need a bit of good luck to win. And, like, it's just not been going his way. Like, he's been up near the top enough recently that eventually it's going to go. Like, I think what's quite good as well watching him at the moment is, like, he's put in good as well. Like, he gets himself in bad situations, but he kind of gets out of it, whereas before we've not really seen him do that in recent years. So I think it's trending. Yeah, but I don't know what it is, but I never felt these four days that he was ever going to win, which I don't know if he's just brought that on us now, because like you say, it has been eight years. But even when he led, and not one time I was like, oh, I think Rory could win this. I don't know. I've just, I've just like I've become conditioned because of how he's played the last few years and majors. But I was I just not once was I confident, which, you know, which I should have been, especially after last week. But I just was like, I just kept saying, oh, he's not going to win. like, And he didn't. So... McElroy's just basically gaslighting us at majors now. I like that. Yeah. But so, so what seems to have happened is he seems to have got over his um, first round woes. I mean, we were all talking about him turning up at majors, shooting four over par in, in the first round. And then by the end of the week, he would have a little backdoor top five. I mean, it's almost become a joke, especially on, on social media. But now it seems to be the third round problem so he sort of got over this first round woes I mean he had it at the PGA didn't he shot 73 or 74 or something and fell away at the PGA um before back door I'm just gonna unsubtly look at Wikipedia here so yeah 74 at the PGA on the third round 68 on the final round and then this week he had 73 on Saturday 69 on Sunday to finish in the top five I mean now now he sort of shifted his problem to a different day yeah but I mean I don't think yeah, and I just think he was. I don't think he did much wrong this week. I mean, you still look at his scoring, um, and it was a tough in session. You know, the course got a lot tougher on Saturday. I just think he was just he was just you know he was just bettered this week really by by those. You know, it was a stacked leaderboard at the end of the day. I think if if those names hadn't been there, I think you know we could be having a different conversation now. I don't. You know, he was still close, wasn't he? I don't think he didn't fall away as such. He still still put in a good performance. Um, and I do think it will come, even if I even if I sit there and think it's not going to. So, I saw I saw a really good tweet. I think it was No Laying Up who said, um, "It feels like with Rory, like every time he makes a birdie, you sort of look and he's still in there. You think, oh, he's miles out, or he makes a bogey, sorry, and he's miles out of it. And you think, oh, he's definitely out of contention now. And then you look at the leaderboard and he's still like he's still only within three shots of the lead. He's, and every time, and it was like that over the weekend, wasn't it? Like every time he made a birdie, you just thought." Right, this is it now. He's going on a run. He's going to win by four, and then he just this is the hope that kills you, isn't it? Well, you certainly thought he was going to win by four. I think my phone kept pinging every time he made a birdie. You first it was four. One point, and you said he was going to win by ten. Um, <laughs> I didn't have that same I'm energy. But... Yeah, maybe we just need to like add an extra nine holes to majors because it always just feels like he runs out of like a hole or two at the end. Like yesterday, it was like if he plays an extra two or three holes. He'll get there, but he just runs out of time. I just wonder what the scenario is for him now to because everyone, I think everyone came into to Sunday saying this is actually perfect for him. Few behind, he can go on one and win. He still didn't, so you know it's not really a course when you go on one, is it? Like it wasn't really that kind well, of. Well, Hideki went on one yesterday, so it could be done. But yeah, I I see what you're saying. Um. But yeah, maybe he's better for leader from the front again. I mean, who who knows? Who knows? But St Andrews will be the test room now, won't it? He's just waiting for the open at St Andrews. You know, he's going to win it and then be like, look, Greg Norman couldn't even get in the field. 
<laughs> Here I am. Well, McRoy didn't get in last time that St. Andrews did he? Because he broke his foot playing football just before it. Um, okay, good. So we're 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 throwing all our hopes at McElroy winning the the Open. I like that. When it's in, it's in about three weeks, isn't it? It's really soon. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's talk about Will Zalatoris, um, who inexplicably we all refer to as Will, like he's just like the lad down the down the road. Willie Z, it's Willie Z. Willie Willie Z. Um, Hannah, you had a really interesting conversation with Scott Fawcett, who is the brains behind Decade Golf, which is the uh, course strategy system which Zalatoris and the likes of Bryson DeChambeau use. Just, I mean, that's a different podcast and people can go and listen to that. But just for people listening to this, just tell us a little bit about what that is and, and how it's helped Zalatoris be an absolute demon in the in the majors of late. So Scott Fawcett, who created Decade, is basically a maths and stats nerd. I think he would actively say that himself. And he's like a past player, played Corn Ferry Tour, and kind of actively realised that basically where he was aiming and his like frustration at shots afterwards was what was basically affecting his career. So he went and looked at all the stats of like, literally like what club should you be hitting off the tee like where should you be aiming on your approach shots and he actually literally went into the maths and like looked back at all tiger's stuff as well and it literally perfectly matches him with like the decade thing and the idea is like you should effectively be the most aggressive off the tee you can be because a lot of the time like you're actually not going to be any more accurate if you hit a short club so like they generally use if you have a 60 yard gap between two hazards like left and right you're good to go with driver and that's why you see Bryson taking like these stupid lines over trees and things like that because they're physically looking at google maps and seeing like where is the best place to put this golf ball and like we basically know now from the stats that the further down you get it the nearer the hole you are like the easier the next shot is it's just fact so Basically, people are trying to tear golf courses apart off the tee, but then actually be quite conservative into the green and make sure when you miss, you're on the fat side or you're in a spot where you actually have a chance of getting up and down. I think my favourite part of that podcast was when you said, what do you think about this narrative? I mean, Zalatoris has become something of um, a joke on social media. They obviously, we have these close-up shots of, when he's standing over a short putt and his putter is wobbling. I mean, it makes me sweat and I'm not the one standing over the putt. And it's just sort of wobbling like this before it before he um, plays the putt. And it's, like I said, he's become a bit of a bit of a, a social media uh, laughing stock, to probably put it quite unfairly, actually. But um, you said to Scott, what do you think of this narrative that Zalatoris is, is, is really bad at short putts? <laughs> and he, he's, uh, sorry. You said, what do you think of this narrative uh, This narrative that Zalatoris isn't good at short putting? And, and Scott just went, well, he's not. <laughs> it's, just, it's just, it's like, that's that's the guy helping you saying that. It's like, But then I think he also made the very fair point that like, well, we don't have enough stats yet this year, but last season he was literally bang on tour average for putting. Like 50% of people with PGA Tour cars were worse putters than him. So like, all these announcers going on about his putting and like saying he needs to change stuff like there's 50 percent of people that are worse than him and like if you look at the rest of his stats he's so good like everyone has to have a weakness somewhere and like 
I think so many other elements of his game are so good it makes his putting look worse. And also like his pace putting is so good as well. Like that's what picks up on it. And to be honest, like so many club golfers could like learn from that because pace putting is like vastly underrated and how important it is to like your overall scoring. There's something quite satisfying as um a scrawny lad to see two scrawny lads battling it out for the toughest major of them all. George, you're a scrawny lad as well. That must have been satisfying for you. It's given me hope that I can uh, I can hit the long ball one day. No, it is good to see. And I mean, especially Fitzpatrick, some of those drives that he was hitting. Um it's it's weird though, it's it's just it just shows how much it's becoming about power really, but like you say, they're not big guys. So I mean, Hannah, you're obviously more of an expert in the swing than me, but um Bryson went the way of bulking up to get power and Fitzpatrick, well, seems like he gets smaller every time I actually see him, but he's he's getting power by not bulking up. So, you know, I don't know how, how you look at it, but it's interesting. I mean, there is multiple levels of different ways you can generate speed. Like, obviously, physically being heavier is going to affect that because, like, the amount of speed you put behind the hole, ball, you've got more weight, so it's going to go further. But then, like, physical power production can come from so much more than just weight. Like, obviously, you've got the speed element as well. Like, I think there's so many different ways to get around getting distance. And, like, just because Bryson's done it one way doesn't mean, like, it's the only way. Because yeah, it looked like, I mean, everyone becomes so obsessed with getting the gym working over the past five, six years. But you can't tell me <laughs> Will and uh, Fitz are, are hitting the gym that much. Um Oh, so I, think reassuring, I, guess. I think you'd be big time surprised how much they're in the gym, like doing stuff. And I think, well, there was a load of stuff on social media about all the stuff Matt's been doing with like the stack system, wasn't there? Which is pretty interesting. I think it's not as widely known about as maybe like speed, like speed sticks and stuff like that. But yeah, a lot of it's just about learning how to be quick. Like most people have just swing it their speed because they're used to the speed as well like they're not they just think distance is going to appear like they're not actively trying to swing it faster <laughs> which is weird but everyone just kind of thinks something's going to get better without actually doing anything doesn't it like i think that's the big thing about matt like he's just meticulous about getting better well he does he has this thing doesn't he where for the last few years it's something like 12 years or whatever it is where he's written notes about every single shot he's hit and i think i've read that it's not just shots he's hit in professional competition but every single shot yeah. he's ever hit which is phenomenal yeah detail, really. i mean i was i was fortunate enough to sit down with him a couple of weeks ago just before the tournament started i wondered when um, you were going to drop that little hole. well i was going to drop it and to be honest i'm taking it you know just to a small bit of credit for it because I did uh I did big him up. I gave him a nice little pep talk. You know, come on, Matt, you can do this. And two weeks later, he's uh he's hoisting the the US Open trophy. So I'll take it. I'll take a bit of it. But yeah, shameless name drop. I did interview him, and he he told me that went back as far as sort of 2012, 2013, uh, which was actually you know around the time he did win the amateur at Brookline. Um, and he said he still had pin placements and shots he hit from that tournament. So you know it's certainly must have helped the fact that he's he's now gone and done history there again all these years of meticulous planning and <laughs> all he needed was a pep talk from george cooper sorry Hannah. correct yeah i think you can't really underestimate like how much that helps like i just don't think 
the actual like club golfers think about how much detail goes into like every single shot they hit like when you're looking at a ball sat on the grass like how is the slope of this going to affect like the loft of the club and like the spin like how much is the way the grass line going to affect this all that different stops like how much moisture there is is going to affect how the ball spins like and then how it reacts on the green and to a regular golfer that literally makes no difference when you're hitting into like a flat green at your local club but when you're on a US open green and you've got like literally this tiny little zone where the ball's actually going to stop on the surface like that really matters. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting it was really really incredible to watch I think just just before we leave the US open and move on to something else just a final word I think for um, Billy Billy Foster uh, really emotional scenes on 18 when Zalatoris missed that putt and Foster pulled his cap down over his face you know um, I think he's been a caddy since 83 does that sound about right I mean he's literally been a caddy since I was born um, just coming on 40 years yeah exactly and thanks for uh, I'm not really sure why I sort of wanted to reveal the fact that I'm about to turn 40 but um, that was that was quite something that was that probably and and for for Fitzpatrick in his interview to say that actually that probably meant more to Foster than it did to me I think that was a really nice touch I mean Fitzpatrick's obviously a lovely lad um but that was I mean I don't know about you but I was I was choking back the tears at that yeah and it's funny you just said about how it maybe meant more to him it felt like 1718 the caddy's supposed to be the one calming his player on on the eve of his maiden major and it it was like it was the opposite yeah it was the other way around Fitzpatrick was like chill out Billy I've got this um and Billy was the one sort of getting worked up, which just shows how much it meant to him. Um, but yeah, what little, a moment. Um, the little plum bobbin of the bunker shot on uh, 18. That was very Ben, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm not sure we could have in-jokes on a podcast. Um, <laughs> right, that was really good. Um, congratulations to Fitzpatrick. Absolutely phenomenal. How many majors does he win before we move on? Has he got multiple majors in him? Could win multiple this year, the way he's playing sort of really easy to say it isn't it we do this <clears throat> every time someone wins a major we go oh he's going to go on and win four or five and then the reality is they might go on I mean look at Justin Thomas as one is probably the best example of this you know it took him five years or whatever it was to win his second one and yeah you probably expect Justin Thomas to go on and win four or five but um you sort of it's, it's really easy the morning after just going to go yeah he's going to win loads um, I think uh it depends how many interviews he gets in with myself before <laughs> The upcoming majors, it might <laughs> might change his life. But no, I think he's got. Are you going to seek him out the the week of the Open when we're in St Andrews? You're going to be seeking yeah. out, seeking him out. Going to be there, my hand up in the in the press tent, Matt. And he'll remember, to be honest. Oh, yeah, very well last time. But no, I think he's got. I think the mate the Open actually probably suits his game. I always thought if he ever was going to win one, it would be the Open. So we'll see. Maybe, maybe you know, I'd, I'd like to think he's got two, three more in his. All those, uh, all those links forces in Sheffield that he grew up on. Have right, you played Hallamshire where, have you played Hallamshire where it's from? It's I literally on the top Hallamshire. of the hill and is the windiest place on earth. Like, if okay. someone can learn to play links golf, it's definitely him. Also, he's won the amateur, like the boys' amateur on a links track. Like, plenty of links golf experience. Well, I backed him to win the US and won handsome profit and i plan on spending said profit on him also winning the open so because i'm an idiot who doesn't like money 
Right, let's move on from the US Open um, and talk about live golf. I'm afraid we obviously have to address it. It's the big talking point. And actually, it was quite nice that over the weekend, it sort of didn't really get talked about a massive amount. I mean, obviously, there was it was talked about hugely the week before during the Canadian Open um, and during Lynn Grant's incredible win on the Scandinavian Mixed. Um, but I think the US Open, it sort of disappeared a little bit until Sunday when there was chatter that a, in, in the Mexican uh, it was the Mexican arm of ESPN, wasn't it, that re- uh, revealed that Avance is going to going to head to Live Golf. I mean, we're recording on Monday morning, after the day after the US Open. We're expecting more names. The word on the street is that more names are going to be dropped out, sort of day by day as we go this week. Um, apart from Avance, who looks like he's going across. I mean, the, the other name that was was um, touted was uh, that everyone's been talking about is Xander Schauffele. He was asked this week and said. I want to just stay on the PGA Tour and play the play the best players. I mean, they've all been saying that that's sort of the party line at the moment, isn't it? Um, I mean, look, I, I, I don't want to sort of speculate on who's going, but what I do want to ask you is which player, and I, I want to rule out Rory McIlroy's and Justin Thomas's and Tiger Woods, who absolutely 100% are not going to the Live Golf Tour. Um, which player, sort of say currently in the top 10, 15 of the world, would disappoint you the most if they did go well i keep hearing it and i, I don't know how how true it is i've heard hovland's name a few times which oh, seems ridiculous that would just that would break my heart to be honest like how can you not love victor hovland i don't think anyone doesn't like victor hovland he's always got a that smile would be on a his huge face surprise as well that would it? be a huge surprise but i keep seeing it and I'm, i don't know where it's come from and i don't know if people are just jumping on it because they're seeing other people say it um, and he's come out and he's been a bit, but you know, not to the same extent as Sam McElroy, but he has come out and, and you know, said how he, you know, he doesn't care about uh, the money or anything like that. But then I keep seeing his name. So he, he would be the one I just, it would be damaging. And it would be, it would be a real scoop as well. You know, not just, you know, it would be what he represents really, you know, a young yeah. figure just out of college, desperately Wait. trying to win his first major. Yeah. Um I don't think he does go, but that would be one that would... That would also, go. we can't lose another person from the Ryder Cup team. We need more Americans no, we to are go struggling, that aren't Europeans. We? <laughs> well, well, to be fair, that hasn't actually been decided yet. But I think that, for, for me, for Hobland, the, the players they've been getting at the moment, like I said this on another podcast last week, like Bryce, Bryson is a top 10 player, isn't he? Like He's just had injuries, but he is a top 10 player in all essence. And that is a massive scoop for, for Liv. Um, the rest of the players they've grabbed are sort of, you know, the, the big names that they've grabbed. So the Westwoods, the Polters, the DJs, the Mickelsons are sort of in the twilight of their career. But they're also, the the, the PGA Tour players that live have nabbed are sort of, for, for want of a better phrase, like the bad boys of the PGA Tour. So Bryson causes problems on the PGA Tour for the PGA Tour. Phil causes problems for the PGA Tour. DJ causes problems for the PGA Tour, has caused problems in the past. Now, that's uh, I'm sort of of the belief that it does affect the PGA Tour because not only are they obviously great players and big draws, but they're also like everyone loves a villain, right? If you if you want to uh, <laughs> paint the PGA Tour or any sport as a, as a pantomime or a, or a soap opera, like you you need a villain, and and those guys are fantastic villains. And maybe Liv Golf is just the huge villain in this at the moment, but um, and Patrick Reed, of course. Um, so losing those guys sort of takes away that element from the PGA Tour. But then on the flip side, you just sort of think, well, actually, 
look at all these incredible young players coming through the uh, Hovlands, the Sam Burns, the um, and players like that. But that for me is why losing Hovland would be massive. Now, I, I think we should absolutely 100% stress that this is, we're only talking about Hovland because A, it would be gutting for us if he went and B, his name has popped up a few times as a rumour. Like we're absolutely not suggesting he's going or saying he's going. Um, this is just purely all on hearsay. Um, but for me, that is the reason why it would be devastating. And of course, he's immensely likeable. bit like Tony now. Couldn't let him go. Well, that's it, isn't it? Like, if you lose, if you lose favourites, that's sort of something else. What do you, What do you think of this chat about banning them from majors? I mean, my opinion is the majors are probably looking at this and going, "We're not getting involved in your fights. Like, you just do whatever you got to do." But we want the best field possible, and if that means having live golf players, then so be it. But what would you do if you were in charge? Say you were in charge of golf for a day, and you were in charge of the majors. And they got all. You got. You got to let. You got to let them all in. You want the best players. I also quite like that. It, that if more players go to live and you you've essentially got well, you do have split tours. I then I think for them it makes it more appealing that oh suddenly these players are all going to come together again and what you know what we haven't seen we haven't seen that in a while you know it's almost okay not on the same level but you know it's like when when you have these tournaments in football you know the world cup and whatnot oh suddenly you're going to see all these people face off against each other we haven't seen it in in a year we haven't seen it in two years four years whatever i think they might be looking at it from that side like oh especially if more players go and live get a stronger field they're going to look at it as well this is the opportunity that all, all the tours come together and then we have this big showcase i think it actually just makes it makes it more of a, a spectacle if anything yeah, I definitely agree. I, I don't know. I think it's all a hard one. I feel like the longer it goes on, the more it's making like the PGA Tour look bad in a way because like they're being so strict and pulling out these lines about bits and bobs. But like in reality, like how much stuff does everyone take from like Saudi? Like I know this is like Liv is purely funded by Saudi, but like people only seem to care about human rights and stuff when it actually like affects something they're involved in like how much of the PGA Tour like do they check every single one of their sponsors and where their money's coming from and all the board members and what they're doing like there is a bit of like double standards to it and at the end of the day like these players are sports people like I think there the amount of money available on live is like ridiculous and it's like sickening and they shouldn't be going for that amount of money and it could be so much better used in other areas of the game but I don't think you can really blame some certain players given like near the end of the career and etc and I just think I don't know do you know what I mean like I think just on the sponsor thing I think I mean I'm no expert in this but my feeling on the matter is that well actually um yes the, the Saudi uh PIF does invest in big companies but there's sort of like there's 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 such an important difference for me between investing in a company that then does work with the PJ tour to obviously just what we are calling or are quite happily to call sports washing um which is the spending of money to improve your uh global um appearance and i think that for me is the difference now the DP world are obviously in quite a difficult position here because, you know, 
there were rumours that Keith Pelly was at Centurion. We don't know if that's true or not, but the rumours were strong enough that, that, that Keith Pelly had to release a statement to say, I wasn't there, I was in Sweden. No pictures of him exist at either of those tournaments, so we don't know where he was. Uh, he says he was in Sweden at the Scandinavian Mixed. Um, he, he didn't He didn't say he wasn't at Centurion, he just said he was in Sweden. It was a four day event. Well, he could he, he could have been at, he could have been at Centurion on Saturday and then gone to Sweden for Sunday. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm not, I'm just putting it out there. You went to Centurion on this on the Saturday. Did you see him? I mean, you can't miss him. Well, there were so many people there that it was quite difficult to <laughs> maybe pick out if anyone maybe was there. To be honest, um, so who knows? Who knows? Um, but he, Pelly's in a difficult position now because he's probably like if you're Pelly, you're thinking. I could get Mickelson and DJ and all these guys to come and play my biggest events. Exactly. Uh, but also on the flip side, he's got this strategic alliance, a strategic, strategic allegiance. What is it? Alliance or allegiance, whatever it is. He's got this connection with the PJ tour, which I, I, I think, frankly, he's probably thinking, why did I do that? But which does he get more from in the long term? Think about it. Like, clearly going to get more money from this live i think he he gets way more in both situations from live because you know you got of course there's the money we can't you know hide from that fact um and then there's the strength of field isn't there you know he can he can get both but what does someone like rory do if they're saying not getting involved in live but i want to play Ryder cup so i've got to play x amount of tournaments in Europe like then what happens well surely look I I don't know anything about it but surely in terms of uh, the business side of it I mean but surely the the fact that the live live golf is uh, connected to the Asian tour surely that stops them from being able to be connected with the European tour like we're, we're not sure we're not sitting here talking about a buyout of the DP world tour by live golf are we you can't just yeah. shake your head, George. This is an audio recording. People can't yeah. see it in your head. Live DP World Tour. My favourite thing is when people like write articles about this and then there's just Americans who clearly have no idea what the DP World Tour is and they're like, who gave it that name? It's horrendous. My dad's. My dad already refuses to call it the DP World Tour. Every time I say it, he's like, it's the European Tour. Or, or he gets confused. And he's I like, think locally about, so. we still refer to it as European Tour, don't we? That sort of... So, yeah, if we're chucking three more... Um, letters at the beginning of it, yeah, might cause even more of a stir. But Hannah, you, you, I, I want to just segue into because it was a Ramco this weekend as well, um, the first team series of the year, uh, and I just want to segue into something that you tweeted about how people are looking at live versus a Ramco, um, and every and how everyone has reacted to the men or the male players taking the Saudi money. Um, whereas the women have no choice but to take it. Just explain a little bit about what your argument was there. I have to think it kind of branches into the point I was going on earlier, but, like, why do people only care about where their money's coming from when it affects, like, a product they're interested in? Like, people just suddenly don't care about the human rights and all the issues in Saudi when they're funding women's golf, because, like, oh, well, we don't really want to fund that, so actually, like, that's quite good, like... You can't have two opinions on it. Like, if you think Saudi is so horrendous and we shouldn't be doing stuff with them, then you shouldn't be expect expecting it 
to be like used on the women's side as well like it should be equal across both which is like I don't know people just don't really get it like there shouldn't be an option where a female golfer has to like the only option to keep their career going is to take money from someone who they don't want to like that's so shit and then I have so many people in my comments like oh well they shouldn't have the people shouldn't have to have the option to have golf as a career like blah 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 and it's like what some guy was like they can make a perfectly good good living without um taking the aramco like t- don't play in the aramco events they can still make a perfectly good living on the let and i was like literally if you split the prize fund minus aramco events and majors of the let like equally between all the players they'd take home twenty nine thousand euros each like before they've paid their caddies before they've done their entry fees before they've done their expenses like what sort of like living is that like it's well it's not is it and then their response is just oh they don't deserve to make a living what like how have we got in this situation how how have we got in a situation where random reply guy on twitter who plays off of 25 out of some muni in in dorset thinks he can beat uh, an let player so i think for me and i and i again i it's such a complicated situation that i i almost want to just change the subject but for me obviously there's the the very the, the money's coming from the same place but the difference between aramco and live is that aramco is the sponsorship of an existing let tournament whereas live well, no. is just a, an attempt to go on yeah you tell me i'm wrong i'd be i'd be glad if i'm wrong i'm happy it's not an it's not an existing event like a ramco have paid to have a new series of events in the let so the difference is it's yeah you're right it's part of the let schedule but there were existing events that they just came in and sponsored like they are new and it's a new format and it's designed to be like specifically different so it stands out so like people i don't see how it's that much different in terms of like the sport washing story because it's still like we own these events there's loads more money than there is in the rest of this equivalent part because like there's still so much more money in those tournaments than there is in the rest of it there's a very similar theme in terms of live that there's like half of it's a team element like element to the tournament like there's half a mil upon the line for the team tournament as well as for the individual so like when you look at it they are very similar yeah, sorry, I didn't want to take anything away from the sports washing element of it at all. Um, I'm just, I, I get like, like a lot of people just trying to get my head around it and try and understand because, like you say, the the uh, the women always end up taking unfair criticism uh, in these situations when, like you say, they're more often than not left with no choice. What I just hear about the whole thing is like, so much of the time people use the story that like women's rights are horrendous in Saudi for why we shouldn't take their money which is correct like they are and we shouldn't be taking their money because of that but then they're like quite happily to sweep like our same issues over here under the carpet so that we can take that money to fund the women's golf like oh yeah right we'll just we'll just take it to fund that because we don't want to do that like I know they're different extremes of the same issue but like it's just it seems so bizarre to me. I think you'll find, Hannah, that Greg Norman saw some uh, women in restaurants in Saudi Arabia. So, so it's fine. That's absolutely fine. Let's talk about something a little bit more cheery, and that is the upcoming 
Open Championship. Uh, we're all going to be there. We're all very excited for number 150. Uh, oh, do you know what? Straight straight off the bat, who's winning it? Come on, who's going to win? Matt Fitzpatrick. <laughs> oh, Rory. Matt Fitzpatrick, Rory playoff. That's like, yeah. that's like the PJ Tolls dream at the moment, isn't it? Uh, John Rahm is my is my pick for the Open. I'm putting it out there early with a strong good links, strong good claim, links good links record. Yeah, good form. I think it could be Rahm's year. They played the Open. Port Stewart Rahm would be happy, wouldn't he? Yeah, big uh, big field for the Scottish Open as well. Just uh, just prior, I mean, loads of players from the PGA seem to be wanting to go over and play. So. Um, this year, isn't it? It is, yeah. So that's going to cause quite well. There's all the speculation about about that. Played the old course not that long ago. The rough is juicy. Oh my god, they've been growing up for a long time. It's well, literally been to. like it's literally been like roped off in sections where like you weren't even allowed to like go in with like trolleys and shit like that. And literally, it was like a struggle to get out of some of it. There's not really any way of saying, I played it a few a couple of weeks before you did, Hannah, and there's not really any way of saying this without it sounding like a massive golf club wanker, but didn't hit any of the rough. <laughs> didn't hit it far enough to get to it, did you, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> just driver, I just driver wedged my way round to 38 points. Thank you very much. 36, sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I honestly, the the Open is for me the one I some I more often than not just avoid betting on it because I just think that the, there's just too many variables there. Um, obviously, I just want Rory or Jordan to win. I would just I think that those those two victories for either of those would make me the happiest. I think Rory probably the happiest. But are but, you going to walk around in a Jordan Spieth T-shirt? Is all I want to know. <laughs> I mean, can you buy it? That's the question. I'll make you one. I really, I really appreciate that. <laughs> that was something, wasn't it? And then there was the Rory guy as well. Did you see that guy with the with the sort of hat and the Rory shirt? There was, I mean, there were certainly some outfits. Sort of Maybe weekend. we have to get Alex like a hybrid, like Spieth on the front, Rory on the back, and he can just like rotate it depending on who is following <laughs> at that moment. <laughs> I just have to like you could make it like reversible so you could just flip <laughs> it around for whoever's leading. I like that. I true story. I once had a uh, in a charity shop. I found a um, t-shirt similar. If for people that are listening who perhaps don't know what the hell we're going on about, there was a chap doing the rounds on social media over the weekend because he had a t-shirt on which basically just had lots of pictures of Jordan Spieth's face all over it, and it was brilliant. And we all fell in love with it. Um, but I found one very similar for Michael Schumacher, the Formula One driver, and I gave it to my mate as a joke, and I think I paid a pound for it. I gave it to my mate, and he wore it on a night out because, you know, banter, uh, we were kids, and uh, someone offered him 50 quid for it. So basically, we were students, so that paid for our night out. So there you go. Fun story about my uh, teenage, my formative years. Um, Question is though, how much would you pay for that Jordan one? Or can you not put a, can you not put a price tag on it? Can I run it through? <laughs> can I run it through expenses? Um, I could I could I could buy it and then I could find could create some sort of content out of it for at the open, can I? And then I could sort of I could, then there's like a, a, a 
a reason to run it through as a sort of business expense. Something to think about. The bar's been set quite high now, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what outfits we do see at St Andrews. That, it used to be the Ricky Fowler thing, didn't it, though? Do you remember? You used to go to every tournament. And oh, was, the orange trousers. Oh, in orange. I mean, I, I went to the BMW PJ Championship every year for however many years I went, and every time without fail, you see at least one person head to toe in Ricky Fowler orange. And it to the point where I was like, Ricky Fowler doesn't even wear that anymore. Like, why are you wearing it? Well, he only doesn't wear it anymore because he doesn't see a Sunday anymore. But, oh, that is cold. <laughs> that is cold. Bless him. Did you, did you see him last week? Oh, he got to first alternative, didn't he, at the US Open? And he, he was hanging around poor Ricky, waiting. I think at one point he did. He got budged up. He was next to him, wasn't he? Because uh, he, was, he was first alternate one point i thought it was going to be in because i saw someone withdrew on the day and i was like oh that's ricky in and then someone else was in and i was like well yeah that that got pat and kazaya in and then ricky was next after him and how advanced was ill wasn't he and they weren't sure speed speed had so was jordan speed and then very bravely (laughs) that's because he was staying with ricky and ricky's food poisoned him right come on who can i get out of the field (laughs) for tomorrow (laughs) fowler's cooking him dinner just slipping (laughs) slipping the arsenic in Amazing. Yeah, I did feel sorry for him. I thought, you know, he was he was there. I thought he would get in, but hey ho, poor Ricky. Is he actually in the open field? Why? How would he be in? I'm not sure. I don't know. It's kind of sad. I don't think so. It is it is a bit sad because he's a big draw and he's he's you know he's well. I mean, I, did, I met him briefly, but he just got... Do you remember when he went on his honeymoon and he got really ill while on his honeymoon? And then um, Cobra Puma made him come to a racetrack and drive cars around and talk to a load of people he didn't want to talk to about three days later, and he clearly was off form. Um, so I don't really want to sort of judge his personality based on that uh, half a day in Miami. But um, he is he is a big draw for the fans, isn't he? And he, he is a fan favourite and people like him. And I think that... He's he's a fan favorite over here, isn't he? He's someone who's taken yeah. to the open. Um, I mean, I, I there's I'm no there's no way I'm the only person that backed him every year for X amount of years to win the open. Um, and it would be a massive shame to not have him here because, uh, like I say, he is a fan favorite over here, and he and he and he, he obviously loves Lynx golf. Um, Maybe we need like a s- smiley, Ricky commentary duo. That would be excellent banter. Yeah, Do you ever good. look at Smiley Kaufman and just think that must be really hard for him? Like all his best mates are winning multiple titles, multiple majors, and he's sort of dashing around cheerleading for them. There must be sort of some resentment there, surely, even though he's really good mates with them. Yeah, he seems happy enough. But what happened to him? He, he just just fell right off, didn't he? I didn't even... He was there, wasn't he, a few years ago as sort of one of the new new stars and suddenly now he's like you say doing commentary for NBC or wherever, he, wherever he's at I mean if you're a sports person like you're always going to be disappointed in that situation but I mean he seems to be enjoying what he's doing at the moment I think he's still going to play golf isn't he like we'll see if he gets back or not but sometimes I imagine like if you've been in a rut for that long like imagine how hard it is just playing bad golf when you're used to playing so well 
like it's probably actually quite nice to just do something different and not have to worry about your performance on the course and like still be in an environment where you're like surrounded by your friends and in like that same like higher performance like PGA Tour place like yeah obviously it's not his ideal of what we want to be doing but if you think of how bad it must have been to be in like that bad place of golf it's probably quite a nice like refreshing change for a bit that's a really nice way of putting it especially after george and i had just gone he must be really bitter yeah all right well i think we've been uh waffling on for quite a long time now but i just want to end by discussing that very brief moment last night where twitter exploded when scotty scheffler ended up in a divot and it caused that classic i mean our, our whatsapp uh, our whatsapp group was popping off about it twitter was popping off about it and whether or not you should get relief out of um divots obviously you shouldn't be able to um but i just want to ask you that is a that is a controversial golf opinion so i want you two to tell me your controversial golf. we, we should have a little jingle shouldn't we controversial golf opinion there you go oh god you like that? New rules for next week. Alex is not allowed to sing. <laughs> yeah, what was that? Just new rules in life, I think. Do you want our opinion on divots, or do you want us to? No, give I, us I don't want your opinion. I know I don't want your opinions on divots. I want your controversial golf opinion about anything. I asked someone. Oh, I get I asked... an exemption to the open. <laughs> Say again. I said on the topic of conversation, Ricky should get an exemption into uh, the open. I presume you mean about golf playing conditions. What about? No, it could be anything. I asked a friend once what their controversial golf opinion was, and they said the Ryder Cup is crap. Mm. Is talking it to, talking to controversial opinions, Hannah? You you raised one with me the other day about um, women playing in the Open. That is also true. Not women playing in the Open as such. The rules for Open qualifying. Which also, how much money are they raking in from open quarter? Like over 300 grand. That's a lot of money. So how much? Basically, how much about 1,500? 150 quid ahead. Yeah. 15 courses with basically a full field for regional. And there's only 12 spots up for grabs. I mean, you can enter as a scratch handicapper. So a scratch handicapper from my golf club can enter. Bear in mind it's the open. It's not the men's open. It's the open. So women are allowed to play in it. But women are only allowed to play if you go to open qualifying and you can only go to open qualifying if you've had a top five in a major in the last year. So there's five women majors. So if top five, if pre, if you presumed every single top five at every major was different people, which is probably not going to be, that's 25 women max who can go. But then you have like a 300 person field at like most of the regional qualifying. So you have like... 12 times 15 times 135 players and only 25 of them can be women max even though it's an open field also why are we only saying that like a scratch handicapper a male can enter so that's like the equivalent of a top five lpga player like what a lot of ball so your controversial golf opinion is that the open championship should just be open to everyone well it is open to everyone so that's not controversial it's just like if it's open to everyone, I think the qualifying rule should be different. Let's face it, like a scratch no, handicapper. But it's not open to everyone, is it? For the reasons you just explained. No, but the rules are men and women can play. 
if they can qualify. But the qualifying is real bad. Certain criteria to be able to. Yeah, but I don't think a scratch handicap from my local golf club should be able to enter up and qualify. And like, as a scratch golfer compared to like a PJ Tour pro, you are so so far apart. Like, surely it should be like plus two, plus three, like higher than that. So actually, your controversial opinion is we should make it more restrictive than it already well, is. Maybe we should make it more restrictive, but then actually let have it equal on the, both sides. But isn't so that like, a, well? Yeah, that is that's a very fair point. But isn't the beautiful thing about the Open is that you can be some Johnny Nomark from X Golf Club and well, that's it. And I saw uh, someone tweeted about the U.S. Open and said, you know, having you saw the leaderboard on friday saturday how it was like these star names and then suddenly you had these these corn ferry guys and these qualifiers even amateurs were up there um and someone just said this is why the national opens the us and the british are always going to be better than the masters because you don't get that the masters which i which in itself is quite a controversial opinion i don't know what you guys thought um, yeah, but, but none of the, those None of those people are scratch handicaps from your golf club either. Let's face it, these are amateurs that yeah, play full-time golf. Happen, They're off like plus five or plus six. They're basically like mini tour pros. Like there's an extreme difference between that and like a scratch golfer. Like like my boyfriend plays mini tours. He was like plus five when he turned pro. Like he would absolutely batter someone off scratch. Like there's not even a comparison between the two. Do you know what I mean? And I, I guess to your point, Alex, like, yeah, it is nice that anyone can have this idea of I could play in the Open. But if you really want to do that, then just get your handicap down in the same way that you've had to get it to scratch to hit the current mark. Like, times move, people get better. That scratch handicap mark is probably not as relevant yeah, anymore the, as it once at was. At the end of the day, they, what's the entry fee to, to join Open qualifying? 150 quid. And I mean, yeah, so... How many people have they just taken 150 quid? Exactly that. No right. cha- exactly absolutely that. no chance. Like, yeah. even if they we played spoke, nine holes, they won't qualify. We spoke enough about money on this podcast already. You spoke enough about money in golf in the last two weeks. Like you say, they're going to probably lose quite a bit of money if they start saying, oh, you've got to be plus five, whatever it is, to start the qualifying uh, journey. So. So, well, so your controversial opinion is they're not changing the criteria because they're just making too much money out of it right now. Yeah. Okay, then here's the RNA, my they're, they're the problem. Opinion. They're the problem in golf. If you're not going to change it, call it the men's open. Why does it have to be called the women's open and then it's just the open? Call it what it is, the men's and the women's. It will always be the Rico to me. Um, that is that is a controversial opinion and. That is, a, I think, um, mo- the modern world dictates that we must refer to that as woke. Oh, for God's sake. Like, it just annoys me, though. Why does everything, like, it's like, oh, this is the open, so that's the main thing, because it's the men. Like, why is that a thing? I'll just call them both the open. Yep. Nope, I'm going to change, though, sadly, because, you know, people always want to differentiate but even like the US Open women's there we go again what was it two weeks ago they they call it that themselves and they have that in the all the you know the logo for the event is women's US Open yeah but that's, so it, that's what their name is like it has to well be. there we go then that's what I'm saying so you know how it's not going to change if the, if the people at the top of this are calling it that are they because no, um, I kept I kept calling it the US Open I kept looking for the hashtag US Open and it was always women's US Open 
Yeah, but who's controlling what it's named? Like, surely that's like a USG well, thing. Who well, run them? Sponsors at the moment, isn't it? Open. Like in terms of the in terms of the women's open, it was AIG. That also really annoys me. Like, why do we have to like? Why are we having to pay a sponsor to fund the women's and then have it in the name compared to the men's? I know I'm gonna get loads of Twitter people like because uh, they don't bring enough TV viewership in, oh, so man, they man. don't get enough money. Well, if you actually put it on TV, then people could watch it. People have people have not listened this far. I wouldn't worry about that. <laughs> right on that note, I think we should uh, probably knock it on the head. Um, I'm running on about three and a half hours sleep, so um, probably going to go and put my head in a pillow. It's almost <laughs> like it's almost like you stayed up for the whole of the golf, Alex. <laughs> I did. I did have a five minute nap. Um, all right, good. Well, should we go and play golf somewhere soon? Because you know, haven't seen you guys for ages. Fed up, fed up of talking to you guys on my computer screen. Yeah, let's get some golf in. We'll play some golf around St Andrews, I'm sure. We've got we got a week in a house together. We're gonna to be sick of each other by we're gonna be going, oh, I wanna go back to team Microsoft Teams. <laughs> sick of seeing your faces when we've spent a week in a house together at, at St Andrews. So good. All right, George. Um thank you for um informing us and keeping us informed for the us open this week it was very entertaining it was a good week yeah and hannah thank you for always making me think Is that a polite way of saying ranting about things no i i do <laughs> right you i learn from you on an almost daily basis and for that i'm very very grateful so thank you for that um all right no one's listening anymore so let's just say goodbye and go Goodbye. Bye.